see from the date on the screen, just a couple of weeks ago, I celebrated 25 years living in Cairo, Egypt. Um, I grew up here in Yakima, and um, I still consider Westside Church uh, my home church. Um, before I moved to Cairo, Egypt, I lived here in this neighborhood for uh, three years. Uh, a friend of mine and I, uh, back in 1987, rented a house over on Walnut and 6th Street, and uh, we lived there for three years, and um, we're uh, doing Bible clubs for kids, and um, Westside and other churches in the area got interested and started sending people, and then we had Saturday morning pancake club, and um, and then the community Southeast Community Center um, let us start using uh, their facilities once a week, and then uh, the uh, mission started the uh, youth center at the uh, the the old Madison School, and through that time, I always felt like we were just well didn't feel like we were young guys not knowing what we were doing, and um, but um, after those three years, I always had this sense that this area needs a church. It needs um, a, a people who are gathered together each week to worship, um, to be a community in this community. And, and um, my friend and I, we met a lot of great people uh, in this neighborhood and uh, wished that there was something like this. So this is a, a, a special thing for me to see here, uh, sort of like um, a dream, a dream, uh, a dream fulfilled uh, that I couldn't, uh, we, we weren't able to see happen, but it, now I see it happening. And uh, praise God, praise God for Restoration Church. And, um, so now I'm in Cairo, Egypt, and um, we're, but we're going to be looking today at Moses. Uh, Moses, I've titled the sermon, God's uh, Contender and Friend. Or was he God's friend and contender? Um, well, it seems that uh, Moses, all his life, was needing to learn to stop contending with God um, and just let God be his friend and to be God's friend. Um, and, um, of course, Moses, uh, uh, God gave us the story of Moses and many other characters in the Bible because when we look at ourselves and then we look at these characters in the Bible, um, surprise, surprise, we see a lot of similarities, don't we? Um, so we're going to take a look at uh, Moses this morning. Um, Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh. Pharaoh at the time was the most powerful man on earth. And we probably, um, there are various people that come into our minds these days when we hear the most powerful man on earth. Well, um, at the time of Pharaoh, uh, he had managed to consolidate power quite well. And Pharaoh in Egypt at the time of Moses, he had control of politics and the military and the economy. And if there was a media, he had control of that as well. Um, he was truly the most powerful man on earth. And this is the house in which Moses grew up. So Moses was acquainted with power, acquainted with the ability to uh, be influential <clears throat> on others. Um, Moses also grew up <clears throat> fully understanding he was... Hebrew. He was a descendant of Abraham. Abraham, who God had promised to do amazing things in and through, and eventually through one of his descendants, all people on earth. 
uh, would have an opportunity. Let's take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 12. Moses grew up knowing that the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Um, when, when, When God spoke to Moses, uh, spoke to Abram and said, I will bless you. He used this word that we often, um, some people are afraid to use the word bless. Um, Other people use it too much. Um, But basically the word bless means to be happy. When I'm blessed, I'm happy. When I say God bless you, I'm saying I want want to see God make you happy. Um, That's literally what the word means. Um, I think it's great to say God bless you. And I think it's great to say I'm blessed. Um, uh, But when God said to Abram, I will bless you, what he was saying was not just I will make you happy. What God was saying to Abram is I will make you whole. So when God said to Abram, I will make you whole, what does that mean? It means that Abram was not whole. Abram was flawed. Abram needed God to fix him, uh, to make him whole. But God said, I will make you whole. I will bless you. And you will be a blessing. In other words, I will use you to help other people be made whole. And eventually, through one of your descendants, all peoples on earth will have the opportunity to be made whole. That's what uh, God was saying to Abram. And so Moses grew up knowing this. He had a sense And Moses also had this sense that this, I'm in a powerful position. I can do a lot. I can achieve a lot. Um, If we skip then to the next verse, uh, John chapter 15, verse 8, um, it's not so different when Jesus said to his disciples, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Um, So whether we call it blessing Uh, or whether we call it fruit, well, they're tied together, perhaps blessing being made, once we're made whole, then God can begin to be fruitful in us uh, and through us. Also, let's look at Acts 1.8, when Jesus finally was leaving this earth um, and uh, he was giving his final charge to his disciples. He said, disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, So we're blessed, we're made whole, and when we're made whole, we can be fruitful. Um, And when we're fruitful, this includes being witnesses. Now, um, witness was an interesting word to me, and I decided I needed to look it up. Um, And um, in Strong's Bible Dictionary, witness... Um, it, it, uh, it's the word martis, and uh, it, it means three things. Martyr, someone who dies for what they believe, and of course, us Christians. No Christian um, has any business being a Christian, or probably is maybe not really a Christian if they're not willing to die for Christ, to die with Christ. And so certainly we are martyrs. Uh, at least we're ready to be martyrs. Um, but also a martyr is a legal witness, it just simply means someone, uh, in our case as Christians, who 
is ready to explain to other people why the Bible is true. We are legal witnesses um, to the truth of Scripture. And finally, to be a witness is to be a historical spectator. Oftentimes, us Christians don't realize how important it is to be a spectator. We say, no, you shouldn't be a spectator. You should get in there. And, well, yeah, but who's doing the work here? God is doing the work. And if we don't observe God and what he's doing and expect him as spectators to work in us and work in other people and work in this world, then we're not going to see it if we're not expecting it. We need to be expecting it. And we see it and we rejoice because he is working. He's changing me and you, uh, making us whole. Uh, So with this background, we're going to take a look at Three events in Moses' life. Number one, Moses kills an Egyptian. Forty years later, Moses at the burning bush. And almost another 40 years later, Moses strikes the rock twice. Through all of this, um, I just pray that we, all of us, will be opening our minds and our hearts to God telling us when and how he wants to use us. Showing us when and how he's making us whole, and when and how he's using us to help other people be made whole. And he gave us the story of Moses. Moses didn't have the story of Moses. Um, and, uh, but thank God, we have the story of Moses. So let's take a look at what happened. Um, maybe we won't need to wait for 80 years to learn some of the things that Moses um, took 80 years to learn. Exodus chapter 2 One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. You know, I I think of modern-day parallels to this. Moses, he's a a powerful guy, and, and he sort of can get away with stuff, right? And so... Um, I see some professional athletes doing things that you think, who do they think they are? <laughs> you know, who do they think they are? Do they think, really think that they could do that because they're you know, a professional athlete or something? And well, apparently they did think they could. And well, you know, here's Moses. He's, he grew up in Pharaoh's house. Yeah, he can do this. And he's going to do this. And he's called to save the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. So he does it, and he kills the Egyptian, but then it doesn't work out so well. He doesn't liberate the children of Israel from slavery. In fact, he becomes a fugitive. He escapes through the area uh, in Egypt uh, that uh, today the Suez Canal goes through. And then once he was past that area, it would have taken him about two weeks to walk through the Sinai Peninsula to where the Bible says he went, which was Mount Sinai, which Egyptians today call Mount Moses. Um, I've climbed Mount Moses probably 10 times. I love Mount Sinai. I love Mount Sinai. It's an amazing place. Um, So that's where he was. And that's where he stayed for 40 years. Um, He became a shepherd. He found a wife, had kids. Um, And 40 years later, he had learned to wait. He probably had learned to wait a lot more than he ever wanted to learn. And he probably felt intense periods of incredible futility 
and obscurity. He was obscure after having lived in the house of Pharaoh. And he probably had forgotten about being called to liberate people from slavery. Um, There he was. I think of um, when I first arrived in Egypt um, 25 years ago, and um, the year leading up to getting there, there had been quite a few um, foreigners who had been attacked by extremists in Egypt, and many killed. And, um, and I thought about this so much as I, was, as I was getting ready to move to Cairo that I convinced myself I was going to be killed by a terrorist within my first three months in Cairo. And, um, and, and I struggled, and I was like, Lord, I, I don't want to die young, and, and so on, but I'm willing to die for you, Lord. And so I arrived in Egypt, and I was at peace. I was like, okay, I'm going to die for Christ. And um, so I arrived in Cairo, but my baggage did not. And um, so um, for the next 24 hours, I did get my bags. um, But for the next 24 hours, I had this conversation with God. It went something like this. It was, um, Lord, you know, I I came all the way here to die for you. At least you could have, you know, let my few things arrive with me. Um, (laughs) And, um, and so this sort of conversation went on for about 23 hours. And in that final hour, God, in his timing, he gets through to us. And the Holy Spirit tapped me on my shoulder and he said, Oh yeah, Brent, um, just one note. It's really great that you're willing to die for me. Um, but you're not willing to lose your bags for me. Just, just you know... For future reference, just, you know, and I mean, that's really, this is what happened. That's, I'm telling you the truth. It was, uh, in hindsight, you look at this and you think, we do these things with God, don't we? And um, three months later, I was still alive, and I didn't know what to do with myself. It was like, <laughs> I'm still alive. And again, the Holy Spirit tapped on the shoulder and, live for me. Live for me. I was like, well, how do I do that? I was like, I'm ready to die. I don't don't know how to die for you, but I don't know how to live for you, God. And anyway, so for whatever that's worth. um, Jesus in John 15 said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So again, we looked earlier at this verse, the second half, But oftentimes we need to look at the context of Scripture to really understand uh, what it means. Here, if we want to bear fruit, showing ourselves to be Jesus' disciples, we need to remain in Jesus. Apart from him, we cannot bear any fruit. Um, Well, Moses, uh, he had 40 years to learn that lesson. Forty years later, we see Moses at the burning bush. And the Lord is ready now to send Moses back to Pharaoh to get on with the program, liberate the children of Israel from slavery. Um, and, um, you know, God, he, he likes to do things in different ways. And um, Jesus said to Nicodemus, um, the wind blows where it will, and, and, and you don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. And so it is with the Spirit. So we, God doesn't allow us to get in a rut or 
maybe he allows us to get in a rut, but that means we're distancing ourselves from God. We need to be looking for God working, and he's full of surprises. This time, it's through a bush. God says, hey, let's make a bush catch on fire, and let's keep it burning. So we've, we've been enjoying the smoke these days uh, from lots of bushes that are on fire, but um, <laughs> they, they just burn out, don't they? This one just kept burning, and so Moses goes over to check it out. So in Exodus 3, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So God is coming to Moses and renewing his calling and saying, okay, you know, maybe you've forgotten, but I haven't. And um, I want you to do something. I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him that you're taking my people out of Egypt. And I can just hear Moses saying, um, yeah, about that liberating the Israelites from Egypt, um, I tried that, and that didn't go so well. And, um, and, and, of course, God is saying, well, you did try that, and that's a good thing to try to do. Now, this time, try listening to me, learning from me, hearing from me how I, when and how I want you to do it, not depending on your own uh, strength and ability. And this is the same thing that Jesus told the disciples to do in Acts 1. Um, As he was leaving this earth, he told them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And... When I looked at this conversation, I thought, wow, there's incredible parallels with Moses here. First of all, we we see three things here in this short conversation. First of all, Jesus says, wait. Don't go and kill an Egyptian. Wait. I'm going to show you when and how I want you to set my people free. Second thing is the disciples rightly said to Jesus, Jesus, you're leaving us. Don't you see the world is a mess? Don't you see that there are things that aren't right? When are you going to fix things? And Jesus doesn't rebuke them because all of us should feel that way. God, don't you see things are wrong in this world? When are you going to fix this world? And God keeps saying, well, um, I am fixing the world, but I'm doing it in my timing, in my way, and please join me in this. Um, And then finally, he says, oh, and you will participate when you depend on me, when you receive your power and wisdom to do so through constant relationship uh, with me. Um, I love Pentecost when the Holy Spirit did come upon the believers, and we see in Acts chapter 2 an amazing um, thing in Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed, and everything is there for a benefit, but Um, I never took time to study Acts um, chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. And that's where we see 
the names of the different countries represented there at Pentecost. It's amazing. Um, we see that there were Parthians. Now, the Parthians originated from the, um, the borderlands between modern-day Turkmenistan and southeast Iran. And then, um, as they grew powerful, they spread throughout most of Iran and most of Afghanistan and Pakistan. These believers went back to Pakistan and Afghanistan to be witnesses uh, for Jesus. It says there were Medes. Medes were uh, from uh, Iran, probably uh, where Tehran, the capital is, stretching up into northwest Iran, on into Azerbaijan and um, Armenia. There were residents, uh, there were Elamites from southwest Iran, residents of Mesopotamia from that fertile region covering much of modern-day Iraq, through Syria and up into Turkey, uh, Judea, uh, where they were gathered in Jerusalem, Cappadocia, they're right in the center of modern-day Turkey, uh, several places in modern-day Turkey, Pontus. Pontus is where Aquila, the man who discipled the Apostle Paul, was from. Asia, Asia um, at the time just meant Western uh, Turkey, but over time Asia became known as everything east of Europe. Um, so that's where the, the name Asia came from. Phrygia, believers from that, uh, that region where um, the capital of modern-day Turkey is, Ankara, and uh, uh, Pamphylia there on the southern coast of Turkey. There were believers from Egypt, which probably at the time would have been mostly the coastal Alexandria uh, area of Egypt. Um, when I go on vacation, I love going to the north coast of Egypt, um, especially the closer you get to the border with Libya. The water is crystal clear and um, sandy beaches, um, and uh, it, it's just beautiful. And um, when it gets colder um, in, the, uh, in the fall and spring, I love going to the Red Sea, where there are unbelievable um, uh, coral reefs in places like Sharm el-Sheikh and Dahab and uh, other of these wonderful places in um, not trying to convince you to come and visit us in Egypt or anything, but uh, um, I hope you will. Uh, where were we? Uh, parts of Libya near Cyrene, uh, stretching all the way over to modern-day Tripoli. Uh, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Um, believers from the island of Crete, there in the Mediterranean, and Arabs, which who were at the time starting to move down the eastern side of the um, Red Sea. So all of these were believers who received the power to be blessed. They were saved through faith in Jesus. And then as they were made whole, God sent them out to help other people um, uh, be made whole throughout the world. So we need to press on here. Um, Moses strikes the rock twice. Um, oh, no, I missed a, a verse. Deuteronomy 36. Yeah, it, it, uh, Moses predicted the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting. In, in Deuteronomy 30, he told the children of Israel, the Lord will circumcise, the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. And if we have the time, we'll mention that briefly again later. But let's move on to Moses strikes 
the rock twice. Um, before we read uh, here in, in Numbers 20, just a little bit more background, because we're jumping 40 years at a time here. Um, so Mo- Moses spent 40 years getting ready to, take, to, 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 to bring the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And now he's been almost 40 years trying to get the children of Israel to the promised land. And because of their resistance to him, uh, which essentially was resistance to God, um, they were still wandering out in the wilderness. And he, it seems, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us everything that happened. It gives us summaries. And we, um, it's dangerous to guess what happened. Uh, but at the same time, there, we know that a lot happened that is not in the Bible. And so sometimes we think, what's going on here? Well, it seems that Moses forgot some lessons after 38 years or however long it had been out there in the wilderness. And he, look, he'd spent the last 78 years of his life bringing the people out of uh, slavery, but never getting them to where they were trying to get to the promised land. And it was because of their resistance to God. And he himself had defended these Israelites before God who who said, I'm going to, I'll destroy them. You know, it's like, are you fed up? It's like, I can be fed up if you're fed up. And, and Moses said, no, don't, don't destroy them. This is the honor of your name that's at stake, God. Don't destroy them. And, and it seems like now Moses is like, maybe you should destroy them. <laughs> you know? I don't know. Um, but God tells him, they run out of water. And God tells him, so you're out of water and, and you're about to die of thirst. So I'm, I'm going to give you water. What I want you to do is don't strike the rock this time. Speak to the rock, and water will come out. And it seems here from the context that the Israelites knew that God told him, don't strike the rock, speak to the rock. Um, but he struck the rock. Now let's, let's read this section together um, uh, in Numbers 20. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Must we bring you water out of this rock? And then it continues... Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me, trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. And so what we see here is Moses, who had spent the last 78, 79 years of his life, trying to get to the promised land, now sees that dream come to an end. Um, the door closes. That's not going to happen. Um, he has to give that up. And it's a consequence of his sin. And um, uh, it's tragic. Uh, and, um, and, and we pay consequences for our sin in our lives. Um, but the good news is that in the 
eternal scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It's not important. There's only one thing that matters. And Moses does recover that, and he finds it. Um, so let's uh, continue on. Um, it, we, we have a wonderful psalm, Psalm 90. And um, scholars believe probably Moses wrote Psalm 90 after this mistake that he made, when he lost um, the chance to go into the promised land. And we don't have time to read Psalm 90 here, but there's this wonderful line where Moses says to God, God, teach us to number our days. And uh, we, we, we say that, don't we? We say his, na- his days are numbered, her days are numbered, which means they're about to die. Um, and um, so I was fascinated by this prayer, and I looked it up in Clark's commentary on the Bible. And what the commentary said is what Moses is saying to God is, Oh God, let us deeply consider our own frailty and the shortness and uncertainty of life. God, teach us that we may live for eternity, acquaint ourselves with thee, and be at peace, that we may die in thy favor and live and reign with thee eternally. And what I want to point out particularly is that, is that line, acquaint ourselves with thee. Um, that's why God created us, is to get acquainted with him, to get to know him, to know him. Um, and when we know him, he changes us. He repairs us. Uh, he makes us whole and uses us uh, to help others be made whole. Um, and he finds forgiveness. And when we go to heaven, Moses will be there and uh, we will uh, meet him. We read earlier in Galatians um, chapter 5. Or we didn't. Uh, we, we haven't read Galatians chapter 5. We spoke earlier about fruit, what it is um, how it is that we bear fruit. We bear fruit by abiding in Christ, by receiving the power of the Spirit. But we need to consider what fruit looks like. So when, I, when, when Jesus said, you will bear much fruit, what does fruit look like? Well, we have this wonderful verse in Galatians 5 that tells us exactly what fruit looks like. It looks like love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So there have been so many times in my life, in Egypt particularly, when I've looked around me and and I've concluded, I must not be a disciple of Christ because I don't see any fruit whatsoever. So I must not be, I'm not bearing any fruit. And Jesus said, you'll show yourself to be a disciple when you bear much fruit. I don't see any fruit, so I must not be a disciple. Well, um, thankfully, the Holy Spirit said, Um, Take a look at Galatians 5. See if you see these things increasing in yourself. And I say, well, yeah, I do see these things increasing. Okay, you're bearing fruit. (laughs) You're bearing fruit. And then when you bear fruit, you tend to start to see God bearing fruit in other people around you. You tend to do that. Um, And one of the most important ways of doing this is by spending lots of time with God in his word. This is how he acquaints himself with us. And uh, again, Moses, he knew he wasn't going to the promised land, but, you know, that's, that's okay. This is an earthly dream that is gone, and um, our life on earth is short. What we don't see happen here on earth is no big deal. Um, but he said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy 11, 
But get acquainted with God, and this is how you do it. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Um, so, that concludes my sermon. I do, before I, I finish, I want to just make a short advertisement or uh, introduce you to uh, our life in Egypt. So, um, if uh, I could see the next slide there, um, you'll see a photo. We call ourselves the Cairo Landing Pad. God has blessed me with a couple of wonderful ministry partners. Uh, their names are Andrew and Susie. Andrew is my longtime Egyptian employee, and he's been a good employee for uh, many years. But only in recent years has he really become also a good ministry partner. Andrew really loves uh, Egyptians, and, uh, and he really loves God and, and wants to help many people be made whole. And so uh, he and Susie, who lives just two minutes' walk from our office, uh, we call ourselves the Landing Pad. Susie's an Egyptian also. And we are there, as the name suggests, for you to land on us. Um, come to Egypt, visit us, and we will um, introduce you to Egyptian Christians. We believe that God wants to use Egyptian Christians in interdependence with us foreigners uh, to be a witness, to bear fruit, to help others be made whole in Egypt. We love taking people to our church, which is the next slide. And um, our church, it's Arabic, and I'm on the translation team, so I sit in this booth and I hear the Arabic and then translate it to English, and you will be wearing a wireless headset so that you can follow the service in English. And so uh, we love... Um, it's a huge encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Egypt when foreigners come um, and uh, attend the church there. Um, I haven't had, uh, it wasn't appropriate for me to talk much this morning about my life in Egypt uh, because um, uh, I wanted to bring God's word this morning. But uh, there will be an opportunity for those of you that would like to learn more about my life and ministry in Egypt on Tuesday, August 21st, which is a week from this Tuesday, um, at 7 p.m., Dad and Mom uh, are going to be hosting an evening um, where I'll, uh, I'll share about my life. So, uh, let's, uh, let's pray.